like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter 2 this morning. So I think if you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you on the way in, it's page 981, something around in there, uh, you should find it. Well, uh, to get us going, I echo uh, Pastor John's comments. Uh, my name is Pastor Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here as well. And I just want to echo him. Thank you so much for braving the weather uh, to make it this morning. And uh, we should give it up for uh, a special group of what I like to call invisible heroes, okay? So uh, that snow didn't move itself this morning. We had some people that were out there shoveling to make it happen. So let's give it up for the uh, invisible heroes of Redemption Hill. You don't have to know their name. They like it that way. But uh, thank you guys uh, for doing that and working together uh, and just the, the kind of challenges that come with the snow day. Um, it takes everyone working together to make it happen. And uh, also really thankful for our music team. Perhaps you've noticed over the past uh, several weeks, we've been adding new team members, which is really exciting, really thankful for uh, more and more people using the God-given gifts uh, that they have to serve uh, as, as, uh, as God leads. So that's really, really exciting. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I, for one, love music. Anybody would say just, I really enjoy some music. Thank you very much. So that's great on a Sunday. It's great any day, as far as I'm concerned. And I think really, if you would say, you know, like Tanner, I don't really care for music, uh, I think you're lying. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, uh, you might kind of be like a closet, you know, uh, kind of a musical lover or whatever. But I, I think, you know, God has, as we said a couple months ago, God has a woven song in the very fabric of creation. So I think there's something about a song, like when you hear this song, Relentless, right? And we got the, you know, the guitar rolling and we we have, you know, the, 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 the tambourine, I like that marine, and the shaker stuff's over here. It's like you, you can't help but just like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know, it may be like maybe you're doing that in your heart, but it's like you've got to feel it, right? The, the rhythm of a song. Like I'm, I'm no um, musical scholar, right? I didn't graduate from like some of you, Berkeley or the conservatory, but I know that a, a great element, a key element in music is rhythm, right? Like the, the tempo and the pace. Um, in fact, this is, by the way, how I justified listening to some quite suspect, you might say explicitly suspect uh, music as a teenager. I would just tell my parents, you know what, uh, I'm, not, I'm not focused on the lyrics, I just want the beat, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so, you know, I don't teach kids that these days, that was like bad, that was bad, uh, you know, that was bad. Um, but um, but, but you, get, you get the idea, right? Beat and rhythm push a song forward, and I would argue, you know, rhythms push our lives forward. So, th- so think about this, um, we, we engage in rhythms on a daily basis, right? I mean, you probably have a morning rhythm or a morning routine when you're getting up and hopefully, you know, you're getting clean, you're brushing your teeth, um, you're putting on, you know, a nice outfit uh, and, and getting your breakfast, getting charged up for the day and ready to, to go to work and to do what God has called you to do. Rhythms that we place into our life. Maybe it's the rhythm of getting together with friends on, 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 a, on a particular, you know, date or occasion. Maybe you get home and you walk your dog as part of your rhythms of life. We all have rhythms that we incorporate into our daily living in a physical sense. And I think this should be true in a spiritual sense as well. Today, we're going to think about what it looks like to work out what God is working in us by cultivating 
rhythms of grace, okay? So we're going to toss this idea of, of rhythms of grace that we should implement in our lives on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and understand that as we are working out these rhythms, we're doing it because God is working in us. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2 together, starting in verse 12. And I'm going to read all the way down through verse 18. So Paul, Paul writes in Philippians 2, starting in verse 12, uh, these words, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. As we think about what it looks like to work out what God is working in us by cultivating rhythms of grace, I want to give you three encouragements this morning from this passage, okay? Uh, number one, let's discipline ourselves through rhythms of grace. All right, Paul starts out, and he's, he's writing to a group of believers, who, many of whom actually heard of Jesus for the first time from Paul uh, coming into the city known as Philippi and sharing the news of Jesus with them and those people believing in Jesus, what Jesus had done for them in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so those people who didn't belong to Jesus became Jesus' people. And now Paul's saying, look, you started following Christ, and I saw it with my own eyes. Now, even though I'm not with you, I want you to continue on in your faith and work out this salvation that God has brought in your life. Now, uh, let's just pause and, 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 and put some assumptions on the table, okay? Um, assuming God exists, which the vast majority of the world, not just in America, but the vast majority of all people on the planet uh, believe that there is, there is a God. Even if they don't uh, believe in, in the God of the Bible as, as, as uh, we understand him through Jesus, as Jesus being God, most people say, yeah, God, it, God there, there, there must be a God. Well, if there is a God, we can, we can probably safely assume that this God is intrinsically really, really good, we can put a stronger term on it, that this God is perfect, that this God is holy, that this God is without flaw. So given the, the perfection of God, and then uh, given, and this isn't very hard to buy, I think this is probably even easier than just the, the perfection of God, is the imperfection of man, right? I mean, like, just watch the news and, you know, look in the mirror. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, we, we just, like, there, there is naturally then the question of how can I, as an imperfect 
person relate to a perfect God? This is life's greatest question. How can I experience God again? How can I be saved? And so when Paul says, work out your salvation, we need to be very careful. He's not saying that the answer to that question is not work for your salvation, okay? So it's like salvation will come in either one of two ways, all right? And this is what fundamentally separates Christianity from every other world religion is that Christianity says we don't work to earn our salvation. We simply receive salvation that God desires to give us as a gift. Ephesians 2 is very clear about this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I think the language of verse 12 actually makes this argument, right? Uh, to say, work out your salvation, it, it assumes that they are working out something they already possess, right? And so he's writing to this group of people who have experienced God's salvation in Christ, and he's saying, hey, look, work this thing out. Now, what, is, what does Paul mean by that? Well, to grasp what Paul is saying, we need to understand a couple of theological terms that will really help us understand what salvation is all about. Okay? The first one, and we see it in multiple places in the New Testament, is this word justification. Okay? Uh, for someone to be justified in the sight of God, it means that they have heard the message of Jesus, they've trusted in what Christ has done for them, they've, they've been reconciled to God where God has now brought them back into a relationship, he's forgiven them of their sin, and they are now in the sight of God, counted righteous or declared righteous. In other words, when, when God looks at me, uh, not because I'm perfect, not because I've lived a perfect life by any stretch, but because I've received the gift of Christ righteousness, when, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus in me, and now he says, look, Tanner, this guy is good with me. I, I've declared him righteous because of what Jesus has done for him. So, so the result of this is that we are freed from the penalty of our sin. The penalty of, of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, what we earn for our sin is death, separation from God. That is done away with because of Christ and being justified in him. But once we're justified, then what God does is he doesn't just kind of leave us in this spot. Like, okay, I declare them righteous, they're, they're good to go, and, and, and then that, that's all that, that happens. No, sanctification is being made more righteous, okay? Being made more like Jesus, and this is not being freed from the penalty of sin. It's being freed from the power of sin in our life where we're putting off the things that God doesn't desire for us, and we're walking more in step with who God is, what he wants for us, and what the life of Christ looks like. And so Paul here in, in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, this is all about sanctification. 
We're, when we work out our salvation, we are moving on to a greater level of maturity one step at a time, one decision at a time, one thought at a time, one day and week and month and year at a time. I just want to pause for a second and say, like, if, if sanctification is about being made more like Jesus, and you have these crazy verses in the Bible that say, like, as you behold the glory of Jesus, like the perfections of Jesus, then God is going to transform you. Check this out. He's going to transform you into the same image. That's, that's I, I don't know about you. I don't know what to do with that. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God, full, full of grace and truth. And so, like, you take, you take me and you over here, and God is saying, I am making you like him. That, my friends, is a miracle. For us to progressively become like Jesus, that is a miracle. And so what Philippians 2, 12 and 13 are all about, as one pastor puts it, is acting the miracle. That's good. You might want to write that down, all right? Acting the miracle. Like we are putting into practice what God is doing in us as we work out our Salvation. So um, you may have uh, heard some people say, like when it comes to faith and, and kind of living for God and, and relating to God, um, there's just like really kind of pop theology that would say, hey, let go and let God. Ever heard, ever heard that? Ever said that before? Ever, anybody, like, you might have that on your wall. You might have it on your, your refrigerator, okay? And so, like, what I want to do, I want to step back. I'm not hating on anybody. I probably, I think I've said that before. All right? Because at the, at the heart of that, what are we saying? We're just saying, like, look, hey, chill out and trust God. Right? We're saying, like, hey, release your anxieties over to God and know that God is in control. Right? But even, even in letting go, there's action there, right? There's prayer. There's, there's trust. There's, there's persevering in faith as we trust that God has got this thing. Right? And so there's never really a time when we let go and let God, but we are called to actively work. The word work out, it, 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 can, be, uh, it can mean continuous, sustained, strenuous effort. So to work out our salvation, like it, it doesn't just simply happen. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it is like by the sweat rolling off of our brow, we are engaged in the life that God has called us to lead. We must discipline ourselves in the grace of God. Some, some I have called... Uh, the, the healthy rhythms that we build into our lives, rhythms of grace, they have called them spiritual disciplines, okay? P- pieces of, 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 our, of our pursuit of God that we put into practice regularly so that God can work in us what he pleases. 
So some of those spiritual disciplines or rhythms of grace can be uh, receiving the word, right? Not only hearing it on Sunday, I'm glad you're here this morning, but like picking it up day by day and reading it, engaging in prayer. Serving is a spirit of those invisible heroes that shoveled all that snow, like serving, singing on a music. Like all of these are acts of service. That's a, that's a spiritual discipline. The act of worship here on a Sunday or personally throughout the week, that's a, a discipline. Sharing with others, even sharing your faith, that can be a, a rhythm of grace. Giving generously to others what, what you have received from God, that's a spiritual discipline. And on and on we could go. And so Richard Foster has a great book on uh, the disciplines. It's called Celebration of Discipline. He says this, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. So, so we, the reason we pick up our Bible the reason that we pray, the reason that we go to community group throughout the week is so that we can position ourselves to receive the transforming grace of God. So I'm not afraid to call these habits, all right? Spiritual habits or spiritual rhythms because they are habits of devotion. Like, like you, you guys know, a, a, a spiritual habit, prayer, uh, you know, Anything that we do for God, it can become a legalistic ritual. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that, okay? Legalism is like doing a number of things to earn God's favor or approval. So like, man, I blew it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to perform my way back into God's good graces. Okay, that's not, that's not what we're talking about, all right? It's not legalism, nor is it ritual. Ritual is just empty action. It's hollow. It doesn't mean anything, all right? When we're talking about these habits of devotion, we're talking about something of substance, that our heart is really engaged, not just our, not just our action, right? But, but our soul is put into this thing. And I think Paul even helps us because what? He says, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. <laughs> so fe like, to fear God is not like to be, like, oh, I'm afraid of God. Like I'm just kind of like uh, this kind of what, what people would call a servile fear, right? Like, like maybe a slave to a master, okay? But it is a fear in a respect and reverential Oh, it's a filial fear. That's really hard to say. Um, like, like a father to a son or daughter. Does that make sense? So because we respect God, because we love God, knowing how much he loves us, we work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 talk about this idea of disciplining ourselves. Uh, it says this, train yourself. Or some translations would say, discipline yourself for godliness, for a life that looks like Jesus. And it goes on to say, for while bodily training is of some value, I don't know how you're doing with your New Year's resolution, um, I was going to work out three times a week and then I had this sledding accident. All right, don't hate on me, but I think I cracked a rib. So I got, I got, two, I got two rips in the first week. And then I haven't, I haven't exercised since, but I'm almost healed up. All right, so bodily training is of some value. I'm ready to get back into the game. But I can tell you, by the grace of God, I've been getting my spiritual workout on. So here we go. Um, bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for both this life and the life to come. And so, so you guys, have, like, you've either 
been to the gym or you've seen a commercial, <laughs> right? Um, and like, uh, man, look at all right. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the guys like at Gold's Gym, we have a Gold's Gym in Medford. Uh, these guys that are, that are like, you know, just for lack of better terms, they're just jacked, you know what I'm saying? Not like me. Um, like rip. They, they, don't, they don't like tiptoe into the, to the gym and like pick up some five-pound dumbbells and like, you know, 10, 10 reps, three sets, and then they're out of there, Right? I mean, like, they're not going, like, once a week. Like, they're in there multiple times a week. Sometimes, this is crazy, but some people go multiple times a day. And they're, like, they're pumping serious iron, man. It's, like, sweat, like, veins popping out. Like, it's just, sorry if that's gross to you, but, like, they're working hard here because it takes energy. It takes activity to get in physical shape. And why would we assume that the same is not true, spiritually speaking? Like, we can just kind of like hit chill mode, coast mode. Like, I'm just going to show up when I want to. I'm just going to kind of pick up my Bible on occasion. And like, it's a little dusty, but I'll be fine. No, it's so we put effort into the spiritual life, just like we do physically to stay in good physical condition. So I would just ask you, in light of this immense value, right, immense value both for this life and the life to come, how spiritually fit are you? What what does your spiritual workouts look like? Are you engaged in healthy rhythms of grace, spiritual disciplines to move you forward in a spiritual sense, which affects everything in our lives? But as we think about this, listen, there is a danger here. Because you can hear this like, work out your salvation and, you know, work really hard and sweat and get after it. And what can happen if you're like me is that all of a sudden you start doing this in your own strength. You start doing it as if everything depends on you. And if I'm going to make progress in the spiritual life, in the Christian life as a Jesus person with these Jesus people, then I've got to work really, really hard and it's all on me. But that's what Paul says, what, in verse Look at, look at the end of verse 12 into 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. One scholar says this, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling precisely because God is working in us. We work because God is working. That's that's how it works here. And so uh, the disciplines are not the the primary source of strength and grace in our lives, okay? Uh, It is God who is the primary source of grace and strength in our lives. And he fuels us as he fuels those disciplines and rhythms to make them count and transform us. So we do what we do because God is at work in us. And so I know that there may be some here today that are thinking, you know what, um, I, really, um, I really don't know if God can change me and work in my life in this, in this kind of way. I don't know if, if my life really matters to God in such a way that he would want to change me and that he would want to use me where he's placed me. And then others might say, you know what, man, I think I'm good to go. And so I I don't really see a need for engaging in these kind of spiritual disciplines and rhythms of grace. 
And so if you're in either of those camps, which I assume that all of us at some point are in both of those camps, um, we need to hear the words of Jerry Bridges. He has an excellent book. It's called The Discipline of Grace. And this is what he says. You might want to write this down. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond your need for God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. We always need grace. Our best days, we need grace. On our worst days, we need God's grace. And so God is working his grace in two ways, okay? Uh, If we go back to verse 13, just two phrases. Every word is important in the Bible, right? Um, He says both to will and to work. So, so how does this work out, okay? Number one, God works new desires in us. Everything happens at the level of our desire. Like we can know what God wants for us. Like we can know, hey, be kind, be patient, um, don't be proud. John covered that nicely last week. Possess humility, work that out. Count others better than yourself. Don't lust, cut off the pornography. Like we can, we can know all of these things and we can know what we ought to do. But if we don't desire to do them, if we don't want to do them, nothing's going to happen. And so Paul says, God has to be the one to supply the desire. A great way to pray is like, if you don't, if you don't want what God wants, then you pray like, God, give me what you want. Give me wants for what you want. Give me desires for what you desire. There's an excellent sermon. It was written in the, the 19th century by a man named Thomas Chalmers. Um, it's called the, the Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And what he says in that sermon, he says, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new affection. So so fundamentally, what our issue is, is that our desires are too weak and we need better desires and better loves in order to work out our salvation and live the life that God has called us to live. So as we place ourselves under these streams of grace, God is giving us new desires to want what he wants and to love what he loves. It's both to will and also to work or to act as some translations put it. So God works new desires in us, but he also works new actions in us. See, God gives us the strength to do what he commands us to do. God doesn't say, hey, you go do that and good luck. He says, you go do that. I'm going to give you everything that you need, even the very energy to carry that out. This is what Paul says in, in first, uh, sorry, Colossians chapter 1. He says, him we proclaim, he's speaking of Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Because it's like, that's Paul's aim in ministry. And then he says how he goes about that. He says, for this I toil, right? That people would be into the same image. It's another way of saying same image. It's another way to say sanctification. It's another way to say be more like Jesus, okay? For this I toil, there's our work, right? Struggling, how Paul? with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So so what does this do for us? 
Like we wake up on February 13th and we put our spiritual heart hat on and we know that we can step out of the house or into the workplace or out of the workplace and know that like God is giving us everything we need, both at the level of desire and the level of action to live the life that he's called us to live. It should give us a lot of confidence. It should give us a lot of, of hope that we can live how God has called us to live. It's all happening because of what God has done for us. So there's this little poem that uh, most people think John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, is one of the greatest works of English literature ever, ever written by uh, most all accounts, sacred and kind of secular scholars would agree. Um, this man named John Bunyan, he, he wrote this poem. Um, he said this, Run, John, run. The law commands. Like, work, John. Do, do what you're supposed to do, John. This is what the law says. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. God gives what he asks of us. Another great quote. Sorry, I'm not giving all these quotes today. Um, But another great one. Augustine prays and he says, command whatever you want. Command what you will, but give what you command. God, tell me to do whatever you want me to do, but give me the strength to do it. And God's saying, this is exactly how I operate. This is exactly how I've, I've orchestrated my salvation to work. Like you, you work it out, and I'm working it in, and you work it out because I'm working it in you. It's such great news. And so, so just as you think about, like, if you're not asking the question, you probably should be asking the question, like, how do we, how do we hold these in tension, right? Our work, God's work, working out what God is working in. Jerry Bridges has a great phrase. He calls it dependent discipline. Dependent discipline. We're called to be disciplined. We're called to work. We're called to engage. We're called to follow through. But as we do what we do, we depend on God while we're doing it. God, I don't have the strength to be a good husband today. I don't, I don't have the patience to be a good father. Like Marcia was gone this weekend, and so it was like 1,000 questions to dad. You know what I'm saying? Like, daddy, 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 daddy. Like, I love my girls. I'm glad we had that quality time. It was great. Ice cream, you know what I'm saying? Pizza twice. Um, but, but, you know, like, I need patience to be a good dad. And the only way that happens is by depending on God. And so to wrap this thought of working out, working in, depending on God to do all of this, but let's make sure we don't miss the first word in this whole kind of section where Paul says what? Therefore. Look back in verse 12. Circle this one, highlight it. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So, so what is Paul doing here? Paul is building his exhortation for them to work out their salvation based on what he has just said about Guess who? Jesus, who was humble and did not seek his own desires, but actually laid his life down as an act of, what? Obedience to die for us and to even die on a 
a cross, the most despicable and horrible, most uh, terrifying form of execution Jesus obeyed to that point, and his obedience is what motivates our obedience. So like Tanner, like Jesus' people, like why do you love? Why do you serve? Why do you forgive? Well, we do all of these things because this is, this is what Jesus has done, and this is what Jesus has called us to do. And so we, we live our life in light of who he is, to live as Christ. All right, number three. To wrap all of this up, here's some motivations for us, okay? Let's be motivated by the results of dependent discipline, right? We like if we're going to engage in some physical exercise, like we, we need some motivators for that. And so here are just some motivations, okay? Number one, we will be changed. As we work out our salvation, God is going to change us. He is going to renew us. He is going to, to give us everything that we need to see his change and transformation take place in our lives. And so a lot of times we think like, well, for gospel renewal to happen in in me or for gospel renewal to happen in a group of people, it has to be this extraordinary set of steps or circumstances, but really it's just the everyday actions that we take, the small decisions, the, the countless hundreds and thousands of small decisions, they add up to flood our lives with the grace of God to be transformed and live in a way that pleases God, right? So, so it's the ordinary means of grace that bring God's extraordinary change to our lives. And the exciting thing for us is that like when that just doesn't happen in like four or five people, but it starts happening in a group of people, then the dynamics are in place for there to be synergy to the point where like God is working big time in this group of people that would then have a true impact on our, the city around us. So we are changed. The church will be changed, all right? This group of Jesus people will be changed. Look, at, look back at verse 14. This is just a practical, uh, very interesting, but not surprising that Paul would pinpoint this here as, as a way to work out your salvation. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And why would, why would Paul go there? Well, it's because Paul has been going there the whole letter, right? Like he's saying, have one mind and one heart. Strive side by side. Don't, don't look to your own interest, but the interest of others. Paul is all about unity, right? And so Paul knows that one thing that's going to undercut unity in a church is grumbling and complaining. We, we, all, we all have this talent, right? I mean, you read the Old Testament, if you read, read the Bible with us this year, um, it's just like, God, thank you for delivering us out of slavery, but now we're hungry. So we just start complaining about that, you know? It's like, God, you said you're going to bring us in this new land, but we're pretty sure that we're going to get wiped out by our enemies. And it's like, so we grumble. We find ways to grumble. Like, oh, man, I can't believe, you know, she said that. Why did he make that decision? Oh, I mean, like, if only my situation were, you know, better. Um, listen, we're, we're, we're all always going to have challenges in our lives, right? We're always going to have room for improvement as a church. And so the call for us is not to to complain and to grumble, but to work together to be part of a solution. Like, I'm I'm a pretty young pastor, okay? I've only been at this for like five plus years at Redemption Hill here in Boston. But what I've found is this, is that when when things aren't going great from whoever's perspective, then then basically you have two two kinds of people, okay? You either have uh, complacent um, criticizers, all right? 
or constructive unifiers, all right? So, so basically, like there are some people that complain, but they don't want to do anything to, to, to be a part of the solution. I mean, that's messed up. I don't care if you're in the church or the workplace or the home place, all right? It's like, that's, that's not satisfying. That's not, even, that's not even right. It's not just, but when we see an area for improvement and we can work together on that, Man, that's where unity is found. That's where unity is built. So Paul's saying, like, do everything. That's like, that's strong. All things without grumbling or disputing. The church will be changed. And then I love verse 15. Not only will we be changed, the church will be changed, but the world will be changed. As you do this, he says, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Our lives are are like stars that point people to a better path, a better way. As Jesus said, you you are the light of the world. And so as we live according to God's design, as we work out the salvation that he is working in us, we not only see ourselves change and one another change that are part of this thing as Jesus' people, but we communicate to people who are not yet Jesus people that, oh, being a Jesus people, which is not bad, you know, it's not good English, but anyway, like, it's a really good thing. It's a really satisfying thing. It's a really fulfilling thing. And so just to conclude, let me give you two other motivations, okay? Number four, we can boast of God's work through us. Paul Paul goes on in verse 16, and he he says, um, hey, as you hold fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, in other words, at the end of his life, when everything is said and done, he says, I might be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. So Paul's saying, like, all the sacrifices, all the late nights, all of the hours of, of teaching, all of the, the time that we shared together, all the serving, all the sacrifice, all of for Paul, the beatings, the imprisonments, the persecution. He's saying, all like if I know that God is working in you as you work out your salvation, he's making you like Jesus, then it's all worth it. Our lives have mattered. Our lives have, have made a difference. We didn't waste our lives, but our lives count because God is doing this in you. And we can be proud of that, right? We can, we can actually boast in that, not because we're great, but because a great God is using us, ordinary people, to accomplish his purposes through us. That's really, really good stuff. But then this is even better. We almost skipped over it, but it was intentional. Look at the end of verse 13. The last motivator and the greatest motivator is that we would Work out what God is working in us, both to will and to work, what? For his good pleasure. Everything we do, every disciplined moment, every act of service, every time we resist the temptation that comes our way relentlessly, like all that we do is for primarily for, especially for, ultimately for the pleasure of God. We were made to know him and to love him and to light him up, to glorify him. And so Paul says, look, whatever you do, let the pleasure of God motivate your doing. And this is where you will find 
the greatest joy and the greatest fulfillment as well. So look, what I want to do is this. As we have thought about working out what God works in us, what a great thing it would be just to pause and pray together and to pray for the person maybe to your left and right, even as you pray for yourself, that God would give them the grace, give them the strength and the desire to cultivate these rhythms of grace and work out their salvation as God works in them. So let's pray together and let's take steps knowing that those steps will change our stories and the stories around us as we pursue him. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you call us to salvation and you count us righteous in Christ, but then you make us more like him. And so, Lord, would you continue your good work in our lives? God, we know and believe and trust that your plans for us are bigger than our plans for us and that sometimes we shortchange this idea of following Jesus as it's kind of like it's a good deal, but it's not, it's not a miraculous deal. But God, thank you for inviting us into the miracle of becoming like Jesus and shining as your light in the world. And so God, we pray that you would do that more and more and more as we move forward together as the people known as Redemption Hill Church. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.